Life is about attaining different goals, including financial ones. Whether it's saving for your first home, first car, your family, or retirement, you need to know how to get there. Welcome to All About Goals with host Tom White. Join Tom and his guest experts who will help you get there faster and the right way. Now, here is Tom White. Hello, and welcome to the All About Goals radio show. I'm your host, Tom White. Let me ask you an important question. Do you have financial goals but don't know how to reach them? This show is all about goals, your financial goals. On this program, we'll talk about financial goals and how you can achieve them. Each week, we'll focus on a specific financial goal, whether it's saving to buy a house, a car, a vacation, or saving for your kid's college education, or an upcoming wedding, and of course, paying off debt. With each goal, I'll share proven strategies and real-life examples of helping a family or individual achieve that goal. You'll also hear success stories from other listeners of the show on how they were able to accomplish their goals. It's my hope that you'll be able to relate to their stories and see yourself achieving it as well. From time to time, I'll bring in influencers and pioneers in the personal finance field who have also helped other people achieve their goals. Finally, it's not enough to know strategies on achieving a goal, you also have to take action. By taking action, you need to use financial products since almost every financial goal requires a financial product. Well, for example, when you're buying a house and saving for the down payment, it's important to know what accounts you should consider using to save for that down payment. Because if you use the wrong account, you'll either be charged fees that are unnecessary or you're not even earning enough to help you save. Or worse, you save it in an account that doesn't even give you access to the money when you need it. Or it's invested in a way that subjects that money to losses that you won't, able, you won't be able to recover before it's time to close on that house. So being knowledgeable about financial products that you need to implement your goals is critical to your success. That's why in each episode, I'll spotlight one or two financial products or companies that offer unique and innovative solutions that I believe will help you in implementing your goals. With a vast array of apps and different technologies now available and more being launched every month, it's important to stay up to speed with what's out in the marketplace. Uh, that's the exciting part for me, sharing what I've discovered and what I've even used myself. So stay tuned to that segment of each show. Now, before we get into today's goal, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I was in the, in the wealth management industry for over 20 years, where I founded and sold two financial planning and, and wealth management firms. During that time, I served as a financial advisor, chief investment officer, and a portfolio manager, where I managed money from the late 1990s through the dot-com bubble of the early 2000s and then through the Great Recession and credit crisis of 2008 and 2009. So I've seen all types of market cycles and helped my clients achieve those financial goals, even during both up and down markets. Now, since I'm no longer a wealth manager, I wanna make it clear that all ideas, strategies, and suggestions are my own and should not be taken as financial investment advice. So consult your financial advisor if you have one. It's my hope though that my experience and real life examples will help you in reaching your financial goals. That's the reason I named this show All About Goals. 
In my 20 years working with families and individuals, it was clear to me that what mattered most to people are the milestones in their life. When most people look back at what they've achieved financially, they typically don't recall that investment that they owned or whether they beat the market or not in any given year. What people remember most are the milestones. You know, the day they paid off that credit card, the day they paid off their mortgage, or they saved enough to buy that engagement ring, or the day they dropped off their kid to college. That's why goals matter, because goals translate into milestones in life. For example, let me tell you a quick story. Back in 1999, I had a client who was in his 50s saving for retirement. Within his IRA, we had him invested in a fund that returned 170% in 99, which was an amazing return for one year. Uh, keep in mind that the NASDAQ returned almost 100% that year. Now, 10 years later, he retired. When I see him time to time, we don't really talk much about that amazing return or that fund. What we talk about was how he felt retiring from an industry he led for decades and being able to go out on his own terms. You know, that's what matters to people. That's what they remember. And that's why goals matter. Speaking of goals, let's get started. Today's episode is all about retirement. Now, unless you're already retired, I would argue that retirement is a goal that everyone has. Naturally, it's different for everyone, which makes the goal both personal and personalized. In other words, one person may view retirement as traveling the world half the year or having a place they call home six months of the year and another place the other six months. Someone else may define their retirement where they finally write that book they've always wanted to. And they want to be in a position to quit their job and write full time. Or someone else may see retirement as that time in their life where they can volunteer and serve on the board of a nonprofit and contribute their talent and expertise to that organization. As you can see, retirement is different for everyone. So what's retirement to you? Regardless of how you view your retirement, everyone in general has the same vehicles they can use to save for retirement. So let's get into the nitty gritty. First, I wanna make sure to cover the numbers. In 2021 this year, everyone can contribute or save 6,000 into an individual retirement account, or it's commonly referred to as an IRA. Of course, as long as you make at least 6,000 you know, in the same year. If you're 50 or older, you can contribute an additional $1,000 for a total of 7,000. And this is per person. Now, there are two types of IRAs that you can contribute or save into, a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. Since this is our first show, I don't want to assume that all our listeners know this information, so I'll kind of go through a general definition of each type because it's important. You need to know what's available to you and how to maximize those savings. The first type, a traditional IRA, enables you to save for retirement where the money that you put in grows tax deferred, meaning you don't have to pay the taxes on the gains or growth until you retire. When you retire and start drawing money from that IRA for your expenses, that's when you'll pay the taxes. For example, if you contribute 6,000 this year and at retirement, say 20 years later, it's worth 20,000 and you take out or distribute all 20,000, you'll only pay taxes on the $14,000 gain, not the 6,000 that you put in. The added plus of a traditional IRA for some people is that the amount you contribute 
into a traditional IRA can be claimed as a deduction on taxes you owe on that tax year. In other words, if you save 6,000 in traditional IRA, and let's assume you're able to get a deduction for that contribution, and you're in the 20% tax bracket, then you're able to claim a deduction of $1,200. That's the 6,000 times 20% for simple math. This means that if your annual income in 2021, let's just say is 50,000, then you only pay taxes on $48,800 as opposed to paying taxes on, on the entire 50,000. So there is a tax benefit to contributing to, to a traditional IRA. Definitely check with your accountant or tax advisor to see if you would get a tax deduction, if you qualify to contribute to a traditional IRA. Let's look at the other type, and that's a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA, on the other hand, does not provide a tax deduction when you make the contribution, but all gains or growth in the Roth is tax-free when you take it out at retirement. So using the same example, if you contribute 6,000 and it grows to 20,000 at retirement, and you take out all 20,000, you don't pay any taxes on that $14,000 gain. You don't pay any taxes on the 20 overall. Versus a traditional IRA where if, let's say at retirement, you're in 10% tax bracket, you would owe 1,400 on that $14,000 gain in the traditional IRA. So which type of IRA should you contribute to? The first question to answer is, do you qualify to contribute to a Roth IRA? If you do, and especially if you have 10 years or more as a general rule until you retire or until when you'll take money out of the Roth IRA, then chances are you'll benefit more from a Roth. Another benefit of a Roth IRA is that you don't end up, if you don't end up needing it for retirement, is that your beneficiaries or heirs to that Roth can receive it completely tax-free. Like I said, it all depends on whether you qualify to contribute to a Roth. And so how do you know if you qualify? Well, let's go through what the IRS tells us with regards to income limits, because it has to do with your income. If you're single, you know, filing taxes wise, and you make less than 125,000 a year, you can contribute to a Roth IRA. You can still contribute into a Roth if you make more than 125, but there's a, what's called a phase out uh, uh, section. If you make between 125 and 140, you can still contribute, but it would be at the reduced amount, less than the 6,000 or 7,000 if you're over age 50. And once again, this is where your tax advisor can help. If you're married and you're filing joint with your spouse and you make less than 198,000 a year combined, then you can contribute to a Roth IRA. And between 198 and 208,000 is where you have that reduced amount from six or 7,000 on down, depending on your age. You not only have the opportunity to contribute to an IRA, but you may have an opportunity to also contribute to a retirement plan at work if your employer offers it. What's commonly called a 401k. And there are very specific advantages to that. But just as we talked about where IRAs, you can contribute six or 7,000 depending on your age. If your employer offers a retirement plan at work, you can contribute as much as 19,500 each year per person. 
And if you're over age 50 or 50 or older, you can contribute an additional 6,500 for a total of 26,000 per person. So that's a lot that you can set aside for retirement. So how do you know which one to contribute into first and how much if you have a 401k at work and obviously you can contribute into a, a Roth or a traditional IRA? As I mentioned uh, before, it's depending on your income. And in this case, with regards to a 401k, it depends on whether your employer offers a match called an employer match. With regards to funding both types, if you're able to maximize both, you really can save a lot. Because if you're younger than age 50, you can contribute as much as 25,500 because of the 6,000 IRA and in the 19.5 for the 401k. If you're older than 49, then it's 33,000, 7,000 for the IRA and 26 into the 401k. And so if you're not able to maximize both, how do you know where then to save first and to, to what extent? This is where it's important to prioritize. To me, the main deciding factor, first of all, is whether your employer offers that retirement plan that includes a match. Capturing the match is key because it's free money. In most 401ks, an employer will match what you put in into the plan up to a certain extent. So let's use an example. If your employer matches 5% of what you contribute, and let's assume it's dollar for dollar, and let's also say you... Like the previous example, you make $50,000 a year. Then if you contribute 5%, your employer will also contribute 5%. So 5% of 50,000 that you're contributing is 2,500 for the year. Or if you're paid twice a month, that's $104.17 each paycheck. And because your employer will match it dollar for dollar, they will also put in an additional 2,500 on top of yours for a total of 5,000. And so that 2,500 that your employer is putting in is free money. And because of that, if you have that match with your employer's plan, that is where the first 2,500 of savings for retirement should go into to capture that match. Because if you don't contribute, you don't get the free money. Of course, all plans differ you know, based on the employer. Uh, an employer could match 5%, but only 50 cents on the dollar. And so if you put 5%, they'll put in 2.5%. So definitely check with your HR with regards to you know, what the employer match is. But regardless, it's important to contribute and to capture that match. And just like a traditional IRA where you may get a deduction on what you put in, every dollar you put in into the 401k is tax deductible. And so we'll talk about the advantages and disadvantages to, to that. And so based on prioritizing, you capture the match up to the match. And then if you still have more to save, then you go and save into the IRA or the Roth up to that six or $7,000 annual limit that you're allowed. And that's how you prioritize with, with regards to where should I save first? 
We'll talk about, you know, what if I can save more than say that, that 2,500 and the 6,000 knowing that I still have more to go with my 401k. In this case, if you can save more than capturing the match and maximizing the IRA, then you contribute additionally into the 401k. Keep in mind though that, you know, let's say you're now going to do 6%. That additional 1% in the 401k, you won't get a match for, but you will get a deduction and it'll grow tax deferred because at that point, you've already maxed out your IRA. So you go back to the 401k. And that's a specific benefit. And obviously you have you know, up until 19,500 with a 401k. And we'll talk about you know, how you then estimate what the future value is for those uh, um, contributions that you're making. And keep in mind, this is every year. We're gonna take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk about how to select investments within your retirement accounts, how to estimate what you'll have at retirement. Thank you for listening to All About Goals. I'm your host, Tom White. We'll be right back. This is Matt and Rachel. They're a millennial couple with good careers and have goals in life. In particular, a home, a family, fun vacation time, and of course, retiring in style. Well, to achieve those goals, they need a good financial plan, but that's easier said than done. Matt and Rachel don't know where to start, how much they need to save, or how to apply their money to fund the right goals. They don't know which financial products or accounts to use, and they can't afford a professional financial planner to guide them. It's a frustrating situation, but then Matt and Rachel found the solution, the robo-planner from iQuantify. iQuantify is a company that has nearly 50 years of combined experience in financial planning and investment advice, education, and wealth management expertise iQuantify's digital technology team created the RoboPlanner, an award-winning financial planning software product that anyone can use. Here's how it works. First, Matt and Rachel created their goals. Automatically, the app calculated how much they would need to reach their goals and how to accelerate their debt payments. The Action List feature provided them a step-by-step -step plan on how to accomplish it. Using the Money Source feature, the app guided them on how to allocate resources toward each one. Then using the timeline, they could even see different scenarios that worked and make their own adjustments for the plan they liked the best. They also used the Cash Finder tool, which helped them identify areas in their budget where they could save money, so they accomplished their goals even faster. And they received recommendations on which financial products and investments were best for them to achieve all their goals. With their own personalized robo-planner, Matt and Rachel are well on their way to seeing their dreams come true. Do you have financial goals but don't know how to reach them? Go to www.myroboplanner.com and start achieving your financial goals today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to All About Goals with Tom White. We'd love to hear from you and help you reach your goal. Call into the program today at 1-866-472-5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to success at allaboutgoals.live. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to All About Goals. I want to thank you for listening to our show. I'm your host, Tom White. If you're just joining us, this episode is all about retirement. So far, we've covered what type of accounts you can save in for retirement, including depending on whether you have a retirement plan at work offered by your employer, such as a 401k. So now let's determine what type of accounts to contribute into based on what's available to you. This is where the rule of 72 can help us figuring out how much you potentially will have, you know, in the future based on what you're contributing. If you've never heard of Rule of 72, let me kind of break it down for you. The Rule of 72 tells you how many years it would take for something to double in value. So let's assume that you're shooting for a rate of return of, say, 8%. You'd essentially take 72 divided by 8, which would give you 9. This means that it would take 9 years for your money or account to double if you average an 8% return each year. So taking a look at the 6,000, say you invest in a Roth IRA. If that 6,000 average 8%, it would be worth 12,000 in nine years. If you continue that same rate of return of 8%, that original 6,000 would be worth 24,000 in 18 years and 48,000 27 years from now. This is how compounding works or compound interest which it, you know, Albert Einstein, I think, uh, mentioned is one of the wonders of the world uh, where you definitely want to pay attention to the time value of money in the future. What it's worth today is a lot less than what it could in the future. So we covered what type of accounts, and now you can kind of estimate what the future value is of what you contribute. But how then do you invest in your IRAs and in your employer's retirement plan? Let's talk about kind of what's known as asset classes, different types of investments, and how to pick them for your retirement accounts. Because an IRA is entirely your own, and you can select any institution, any company to open that account, you have then pretty much the the entire marketplace to choose investments from. For purposes of today, especially if you're you're somebody that's young and and just starting off saving and educating yourself on investing, we'll stick with what are known as funds, either mutual funds or ETFs. And what you want to look for, first of all, are investment companies, fund families, that have a long track record of managing money on behalf of an investor, knowing that you know, a particular company has gone through all the ups and downs, whether it's you know, the, uh, the recession, the great recession of 2008, 2009, or in uh, you know, even the last year, it's important to know that not only they've been around, but that they've been able to manage money well. And then within that specific family, you want to select funds whose managers have been around a long time as well. Because at the end of the day, it's individuals, if not groups of individuals that make the decision on 
what to buy, what to sell within those funds. And so track record is key. And you want to look at long-term. It doesn't really matter what happened last year. What matters is, especially if you have long-term horizon for your goals, it matters how they've been doing the last 10 years. And yes, you can compare it to how the market did. More importantly, because you have a specific rate of return you're shooting for, in this case, let's just say 8%, you got to be able to know that what they've done in the last you know, 10 years has been able to meet, if not exceed that. Otherwise, you know, it's probably certain that if they're, they've only done 6% in the last 10 years, you're not going to get your 8% that you need. Keep in mind that going back 100 years, as of right now, the market has averaged close to 10%. So that's the reason we're using 8% here, just to be conservative. And when you're selecting a fund, one of the metrics you look for is expenses because that's kind of, you know, the, the, the drag on your returns. And just for purposes of kind of general, what you want to look for is definitely something less than 1%, as close to, you know, half a percent, if not lower, provided, obviously, they're providing the long-term returns you need. But anything over 1%, you know, is essentially excessive or to the extent that you can find equally quality funds for less. Now, because you're investing within accounts for retirement that are tax deferred, you don't have to worry so much about, you know, how much they buy and sell within the year that could, you know, outside of a retirement account generate tax consequences. Here, uh, we're not too concerned about that. Now, because we're also talking about long-term, you know, this is where you as a consumer, you know, could apply your own experience as a consumer in understanding different companies and brands in that you can see within the funds what they own, companies you recognize and probably have you know, a certain amount of knowledge about that particular company and business. And so it's important to you know, educate yourself. Investing is a cumulative discipline, meaning to say that you learn something now you can apply what you learn now in the future because more than likely you'll see it again. It'll happen again. Just as you know, markets rise, they also go down. And so if you've been through a down market, that'll help you prepare for the next time the market goes down. With regards to the funds within your employer plan, those are very limited. There are going to be very specific types of funds in there. All of them more than likely would have something related to, you know, the number of years you have left. So for example, it's 2020, if you're set to retire in 2040 or 2060, there's a fund for that to match when your retirement year uh, potentially is. And so they will manage it based on that time frame. But there's also different types of funds based on risk tolerance, whether you're an investor that likes, you know, to take risk or, or not. And so you can select those. The bottom line when it comes to saving and investing is to be consistent. Continue to save the amounts that you can within those, capture the match like we said, and particularly when the market is down, continue to invest because you're just getting better prices that day than you did you know, 
before it even went down, especially when you know you're not going to need that money anytime soon. Like I said, whatever the value is today is certainly not what it's going to be when you retire. And so you want to use the fact that you have this time now to buy something that's cheaper than what it was maybe a month or a year ago to your advantage. And we'll talk about how, you know, my experience working with people during a down market and how they were able to take advantage of that depending on their own tolerance as well. And so, you know, everything we've been talking about has been with regards to saving for a future date down the road, particularly for those that are younger. So what if you're getting close to retirement? What if you're over the next five, 10 years, you know, you've saved a certain amount and particularly in the last year with the market being extremely volatile, hopefully you did the right things and managed to weather through that storm. And now being 2021, you know, we're past at least, you know, hopefully the bottom of what we saw, you know, in March of last year. And so you're continuing to save. Hopefully you didn't sell into cash. You're still invested. But let me tell you a story about working with a client back in the Great Recession. And my hope is that this will help you with regards to certainly the next time uh, you encounter a downturn, even if you're retired at that point. And so, you know, with regards to the, the last downturn prior to this one last year, that was during the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009. And so let me take you back to October of 2008. At the depth of the credit crisis, or you know, what others call the Great Recession, at the time, I still had my firm. I was serving as an investment advisor and financial planner. And I was about to meet with a client who at the time was only a few years from retirement. But a few hours before the meeting, I received a call from his wife who wanted to let me know that he was going to tell me to sell all the investments that we were managing for him at firm to cash since he was unnerved by the market. Now, at that point in October, the market was down over 20% for the year. It, It would end up being down over 37% by the time 2008 ended. So that wasn't the worst of it at that point that I was meeting for him. But I had less than four hours to figure out what to do, knowing that he was likely going to instruct me to sell the cash when we met. And I knew that selling into cash was definitely not in his best interest, especially as he was looking to retire in only a few years. In fact, During the previous down market prior to 08 and 09, and this would have been in 2000 to 2002 during the dot-com bubble, he sold into cash. I knew that as part of his history. And so that's what he knew. That was his experience with regards to what to do when investments were down. Now, I wasn't working with him at the time, so I wasn't able to advise him back in 2000. 
but I was working with him then during the downturn in 08. And I made it my mission to get him to not sell to cash. I had less than four hours to come up with a plan because if he sold, I knew I failed as his advisor. Now, in addition, once you sell into cash, now you, figure, you have to figure out how do you get back into the market? Because you're not gonna be in cash the rest of your life or, or you know, the rest of your years in retirement because cash simply doesn't generate enough return or interest to allow you to live off of your assets unless you've got multiple times the amount of money you need. But that wasn't the case here. But that's exactly what he did back in 2000 to 2002. He sold into cash and eventually reinvested back in the market. But he did that more than likely well after the market rebounded. So his own account was well behind compared to if he only stayed invested during the downturn. Now in this situation, the client was working still, obviously he hadn't retired and saving in his retirement account at work, which was a 401k. He was maxing it out. He was contributing to an IRA. So all told, I believe he was saving about 30 grand a year. Since I didn't want him to sell any of his equities or stock positions, which obviously those are the ones that were down, I wanted him instead to focus on the cash he was contributing over the next four years until he retired. Also, I made sure to let him know that his bond positions, because he had bonds within those accounts, were only down about 7%, you know, compared to the 20 plus and ultimately the 37 by the end of the year. But then between the bonds and cash that he had, it was over 30% of his you know, retirement accounts. All in all, by adding up his bonds and cash in his retirement accounts, the cash he had, he had on hand in savings, and the contributions he was going to make over the next four years before he retires, he had enough for four years of his expenses in retirement. So, you know, the cash, the bonds he had, and his savings, and what he was going to save over the next four years was enough to pay his expenses during his first four years of retirement. So what I recommended to him then is that every dollar he contributed now over the next four years to retirement should go into cash so that he would not have to rely on the market's recovery to be able to retire on schedule. What this did was it eventually gave his equity and stock position eight years to recover before he needed to access them because he had the four years before retirement. And then when he retired, he had his first four years of retirement, you know, living off of the bonds and cash for a total of eight years for those stock positions, stock funds to recover. Now there's a downside to this strategy, which I made sure to remind him, which is that if the market recovered over the next four years before he retired, that the money he was saving and contributing in cash would not participate in that recovery. Not only that, we were passing up on an opportunity to buy down and buy when stocks were cheap. So I wanted him to acknowledge that he was willing to forgo that upside and opportunity. That's how I was able to convince him not to sell any of his 
equity or stock positions by having him focus on what he could control, which was his annual contributions, and to look forward to his retirement knowing he had the money to cover his expenses in the first four years. Now, I wasn't worried about the market recovering so long as the credit crisis was averted, which it was, and I knew that it would not take eight years for the market to recover. In fact, it only took four years, half the time needed in our plan for the market to recover. More importantly, since he never sold a single share of stock or equity, his accounts recovered in only three years. By the time he retired in four years as scheduled, he was well ahead of plan. So this is an example of somebody who didn't know how to deal with the down market. And so I had to provide him with a plan that focused him on something other than his investments being down. Because if you're invested in equities or stocks, whether they're individual stocks or stock funds or ETFs, like this client, volatility in down markets are inevitable. And the proper way to behave in a down market is to buy more, especially if you're still saving and contributing and take advantage of prices you may never see again. In fact, as much as last year's market went down, it still didn't come close to the levels we saw back in 2009. In last year's downturn, the Dow, Industrial Average, is one of the index for the stock market, fell to 19,000. Today, it's at 31,000. And you know, it, before it fell uh, in February of last year, it hit a high of 30,000. So it went from 30 to 19,000. Well, in 2009, the Dow's low point was 7,000. We didn't come anywhere close to that last year. Like I said, we may never see prices like we did back in 2009. But that's for another time, another episode, which I will definitely dedicate a show to a strategy that I call buying down. It's my favorite investing strategy and one that has proven time and again to be very effective for patient and knowledgeable investors. Now, before we go on a break, I want to share a little story because looking back in 2008, it reminded me of how many individual investors were panicked and didn't know what to do back in 08 and 09. And I remember this one guy, a regular investor who was being interviewed and he was asked how he was coping with the market being down over 30% and how he was sleeping at night. His response was classic. He said, I sleep like a baby. I wake up every two to three hours and cry. I thought that was a telling response and it was also funny. My hope was that this one client I helped off the fence on selling into cash slept better after my meeting with him, knowing he had a plan in place to retire on schedule. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk about the process of selecting specific investments within a type of an account that allows you to build up over time in smaller amounts. I'm your host, Tom White, and you're listening to All About Goals. We'll be right back. This is Matt and Rachel. They're a millennial couple with good careers and have goals in life. In particular, a home, a family, fun vacation time, and of course, retiring in style. Well, to achieve those goals, they need a good financial plan, but that's easier said than done. Matt and Rachel don't know where to start, how much they need to save, or how to apply their money to fund the right goals. 
They don't know which financial products or accounts to use, and they can't afford a professional financial planner to guide them. It's a frustrating situation. But then Matt and Rachel found the solution, the robo-planner from iQuantify iQuantify is a company that has nearly 50 years of combined experience in financial planning and investment advice, education, and wealth management expertise. iQuantify's digital technology team created the RoboPlanner, an award-winning financial planning software product that anyone can use. Here's how it works. First, Matt and Rachel created their goals. Automatically, the app calculated how much they would need to reach their goals and how to accelerate their debt payments. The Action List feature provided them a step-by-step plan on how to accomplish it. Using the Money Source feature, the app guided them on how to allocate resources toward each one. Then using the Timeline, they could even see different scenarios that worked and make their own adjustments for the plan they liked the best. They also used the Cash Finder tool, which helped them identify areas in their budget where they could save money, so they accomplished their goals even faster. And they received recommendations on which financial products and investments were best for them to achieve all their goals. With their own personalized robo-planner, Matt and Rachel are well on their way to seeing their dreams come true. Do you have financial goals but don't know how to reach them? Go to www.myroboplanner.com and start achieving your financial goals today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to All About Goals with Tom White. We'd love to hear from you and help you reach your goal. Call into the program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to success at allaboutgoals.live. Now, back to the show. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm your host, Tom White. If you want to follow us, uh, we have a Twitter account at allaboutgoals. One, and that's with the number one at the end at All About Goals One. So what we've uh, covered so far today since this episode is all about retirement is understanding what types of accounts are available to you, what limits there are to contributing, what opportunities there are to get a deduction, and also free money in the form of an employer match. So I hope that made sense. Uh, and also prioritizing where you contribute to first, especially if you have more than one account, like an IRA and a 401k. And the key factor here is with regards to whether your employer has a match or not. So what if your employer plan doesn't have a match? What then? Where do you contribute? In that case, the first question to ask again is, do you qualify to contribute to a Roth IRA. If you do, then definitely contribute into the Roth first. Even if you have an employer plan at work, but if they don't have a match, contribute to the Roth first. Max that out up to the six or 7,000, depending on whether you're age 50 or, or, or not. And once you max out the IRA and you can still save, then go and contribute into the 401k. Because not only obviously are you saving more, but now every dollar you put into the 401k 
is deductible. And because you contributed into the Roth, you're not eligible to contribute to a traditional IRA. It's one or the other. And you know, with the 401k, you get that deduction and the tax deferral. So you get the best of both worlds where it's tax-free growth in the Roth and you get deferral and a tax deduction in the 401k. Now, prior to the break, I shared a bit of story uh, about a, a client I used to work with who was very concerned in the, in the last down market prior to last year and not knowing what to do and still being able to hit his retirement date. And fortunately, I was able to convince him to follow the plan that I put together. But for most people, you know, down markets is very much unnerving. And if you don't, if you never experience other down markets, that means you don't have the experience to draw from to say, hey, you know, this is what I did. And, you know, I know how it worked out, especially if you did the right thing. But obviously, if you didn't, you, you know, you didn't really learn much from it. You're just repeating what you did that didn't work last time. And so what I try to do is have people understand, you know, what it means when prices fluctuate. And I think what people understand more than, you know, stocks or, or investing is, in this case, you know, real estate or the house that they own or bought. And so, you know, let me share a bit of an analogy. Uh, you know, I call it, you know, uh, an investor's or a real estate analogy for investors. And once again, you know, we'll, we'll go back to 08 and 09 just because, you know, that's, that's a much, that was a much longer uh, um, down market uh, recovery. Uh, you know, amazingly, uh, as much as the market was down last year, I mean, when it hit a low in March, I mean, it, it recovered back, I think, uh, mid-August to where it was. And then now you know, we're in an all-time high. So it was a very short, you know, more of a correction than, than anything. But back in 08 and 09, and because that was very much systematic uh, across, you know, uh, the economy, uh, um, you know, and a lot of companies went bankrupt, particularly in the financial services industry. It was, you know, it looked like Armageddon at that point. And so a lot of people really didn't know what to do or what, you know, what to make of it. And so the analogy that, that I came up with is, imagine that you bought a house. Say you bought it in 2005. And, you know, at that time, the residential market very much, you know, was, was booming. And in 2007, at the peak, oh, well, well let, let's go with, with some numbers here. Um, let's say you bought your house for 300000 and in 2005. And in 2007, because the market, you know, was, was so high, somebody comes to your door, knocks on your door, and offers you 450000 You bought it for three hundred about two years earlier, and now they're offering you essentially a 50%, you know, premium or gain on the house. Now, keep in mind that this is a house. It's not a stock. You bought the house to live in. You liked it. I mean, it, it, it was your dream house. That's why you bought it. So you had no, you have no intention of, of, of selling or moving, but now you have somebody here willing to pay you over 50% or 50%, 150,000 more than what you paid in cash. And you turn them down. You say, you know, 
no thanks. I'm not looking to move. I love the house. You know, we bought it to stay here, if not even, you know, during retirement. So imagine that being the case in 2007 with a lot of people's stocks, you know, hitting an all-time high at that point. Now, back to our analogy. A year later, in 2008, the market is down. So the value of your house is down for purposes of this analogy in real estate. And, you know, nobody's offering 450000 anymore. In fact, because, you know, loans are so hard to, to come by, you know, you can't get the loans that you did back in 2005. The ones that are knocking at your door are now offering you 250000 for a house that you bought 300000 for, you know, just three years earlier. And a year earlier, you were getting a 50% premium on it. Yes, they're going to pay you in cash, two fifty, But you realize, once again, just like a year earlier, you weren't looking to sell. And you wanted, okay, to stay in it because it's something you're thinking about long-term. You didn't buy it as an investment. You bought it to live in. You know that it's a quality house. You know, uh, um, you know the, the roof is in fine shape. There, there's nothing wrong with the foundation. And so you passed on the $250,000 offer in cash, okay? Because you know that the house is solid, that in a matter, you know, sometime in the future, not only will it regain, but it's also to where, yeah, you could still, you know, make money on it. And so the difference here is that with stocks, you know, you see the price of stocks every minute, every day. Whereas for houses, you don't necessarily have that same type of real time. Sure, you know, you can still look up values based on, uh, you know, Zillow and so on, but it doesn't move the same way that stocks do. And so if you think about it that way, the bottom line is you need to know what you own and if it's quality or not. Because if the house, when that person was knocking on your door, offering 215 cash and the roof's about to fall off and you know uh, the plumbing uh, uh, has a lot of work in it, you may want to take the 215 cash. But if that house is quality, you're going to tell them, go away. So my hope is that a little bit of that analogy helps knowing that you know, real estate is something that people can certainly uh, you know, relate to more. Um, now, one of the things that I like to do in the show and do it towards the end is to spotlight a specific product or service that I believe will help you implement and achieve your goals. Because at the end of the day, you need a financial product uh, uh, to implement your goal. And so since we're talking about retirement today, I want to spotlight Schwab Stock Slices, if you haven't heard of it. Schwab launched this type of product last year, enabling individual investors who don't have a lot of money to invest the ability to purchase stocks of companies whose share price, you know, may prohibit you from buying even one share. And that's why they call it slices. It's a slice of a stock, uh, you know, a, a small amount to where you could even uh, invest as little as five or $10. Now, why is this important? Well, let's take Amazon, for example. One share of Amazon, you know, today looked it up. Uh, it's trading around 3200 Per share. So to even buy one share in a regular account, you would have to have over 3,200. 
And if you were to buy that and invest that in your Roth IRA, say, that's more than half of you know, the, the 6,000 that you know, you're able to invest in. And so Schwab created stock slices where you can buy as little as $10, say, of Amazon stock. Now, of course, with a stock trading at 3,200, if you purchase $10 worth, you'll own approximately one third of 1%, but that's okay because that one third of 1% will still grow the same as if you owned one full share of Amazon stock. And now you're able to participate in that company's growth prospects. The beauty of this type of investing is that it allows you to own shares in the 500 largest American companies. Schwab stock slices will limit you to the S&P 500, but that's also the largest publicly traded companies in the US. In fact, when Tesla was added to the S&P, I believe uh, maybe exactly a month today, December 20th, I believe, yeah, now is added to that and investors were able to purchase Tesla. Considering at the time, you know, Tesla was well over $600 a share when it debuted on the S&P. There is a drawback to, stock, to Schwab stock slices, which is that you're unable to invest in foreign companies or smaller companies, smaller than the S&P 500. There are other apps, other companies that will let you invest in smaller companies. We'll focus on that at another show. The drawback to those is you can't do it with a retirement account. Schwab lets you open up an IRA or a Roth. And since we're talking about all about retirement today, I thought that that was applicable. The other benefit is that because these are small amounts, especially if you're just starting and learning and saving, it enables you to buy frequently and buy aggressively when the market is down. Because if you invested $10 in a stock, let's say, and it goes down you know, 20%, well, you can put in $20, $30 and really lower your purchase price and make an impact to that, you know, uh, that position. And as I mentioned before, you know, strategy buying down is one of my favorites and we'll definitely talk about that. But Schwab stock slices is a greater account to use when starting off investing and for retirement. So I highly recommend you check it out and we'll be talking about other types as well. And now, for our next episode, we'll be talking about paying off debt. How do you tackle all your debts, especially if you have multiple loans? I'll share specific strategies on accelerating debt payoff with the existing resources you already have. And if you're listening and have successfully paid off debts, I'd love to hear your success story. You can email me at success at allaboutgoals.live. Once again, that's success at allaboutgoals.li. V-E. Email me your success story so I can share them on our next episode, which will be all about debts and help inspire others in their quest to be debt-free. Thank you for listening to the All About Goals radio show. I'm your host, Tom White. Until our next episode, next Wednesday at the same time, 4, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America radio show. Happy achieving. Thank you for tuning in for this week's edition of All About Goals. Please join Tom White and another guest next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you achieve your financial goals one program at a time.